and welcome to Media MD, the podcast where each fortnight we prescribe each other a piece of media that we have somehow missed. I am Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Debold. And Elliot, it's your turn this fortnight. Yes. So, what do you got? Uh, I'm bringing you a novel, uh, very classy, uh, from the Discworld series. Uh, it's Guards, Guards, which I think what? is the eighth Discworld novel. Surprise! I definitely, you definitely didn't give me this book already in preparation for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess uh, I'll just sort of start by introducing Disc World more than more than the individual book, and then I'll bury down into the book. So there's there's like well over forty Discworld novels. Um, Terry Pratchett was writing these things for like probably about forty years, and it's it's basically. There's like many different sort of works in Discworld, um, and they're all like not quite related. Like that's why I can give you the eighth one, and because it barely has any characters that have appeared in the first seven. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sort of many many different storylines. So, so uh, this is like what's known as the first one in the Night Watch series, and then there'll be other ones that'll include these characters. But then like the first two introduce um, like the Rincewind character. And then he'll pop up in other ones. So it's just sort of whatever Terry felt like writing about is sort of what he wrote about. These are all nonsensical character names to me. Like. <laughs> yeah. Did you um, say there's a character called Choo Choo the Night Wind or something? Rinse Wind. Rinse Wind. That's even weirder um, of a sounding name. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so really the only thing that sort of connects all the Discworld stories, um, aside from the setting, uh, is essentially the the themes of like parody and satire um Mm. so terry terry like was a very funny writer and so i i sort of read a lot of these as a kid and then rediscovered the series a bit um a few years ago when he passed away um and it's just he was just a funny guy um and and that sort of really comes across in in how well he he points out sort of logical fallacies and stuff it just sort of satirizes and parodies various things so is this like satirizing like common fantasy trope kind of deal yeah well so different books sort of focus on different things and this is actually part of why i had a lot of trouble sort of picking which book in the series to give you um because each one or every series even sort of focuses on parodying a different thing. So the guards, guards, which I've given you sort of um, parodies a lot of like things like the Hobbit. So it does target like your classic fantasy tropes, um, mm. but it also sort of does a bit of a take on like your police crime novel type thing. Um, <laughs> All right. And, and one of the other ones I, I considered giving you is called small gods. And it, it sort of is still in the fantasy setting, but it's really a, um, a sort of, battle against organized religion and he really sort of tackles the concept of, of organized religion um mm. and so there's other ones i mean there's ones that are sort of rip-offs of shakespeare and he's and he's parodying shakespeare and those so it, it again like it's sort of really just whatever he felt like writing yeah so it's um, kind of like he, this just setting sort of fitted in this setting is just his playground for whatever he wants to kind of send exactly. up next that's interesting and there's like there's an official map of Discworld that was released um, a, a few years ago, um, but Terry Pratchett actually fought against that for ages because he never really wanted a map because then he'd sort of actually have to adhere to it, and he'd sort of <laughs> said like you can't you can't map a sense of humor like he mm. so he didn't want a map for a while because he just always wanted to write whatever he felt like and and not having a map gave him the freedom to do that, but I guess eventually he caved. I think I'm remembering one thing about Discworld. Is this 
I don't know if it's the right thing. Is this the one where like the number eight is like a big thing? Yeah, it is. So okay. it's discussed okay. mostly in in the first book in the series. Um, but yeah, so there's an eighth color of the rainbow in Discworld called Octarine. <laughs> sure. Um, which is the color of magic. Um, just the title of the first book, <laughs> and then the eighth son of an eighth son is a wizard. Uh, I, there's lots of just you know, it, it's a it's a world founded on just stupid crap that Terry wanted, which is great. Yeah, it, it sounds like a lot of like magic nonsense, which kind of makes yes. me really excited to read it. <laughs> yeah, and so I mean, like one of the important things about Discworld, um, uh, I just sort of want to briefly introduce because this is probably the only thing I'd say is useful to know going into Guards Guards about the general world is the concept mm. of magic in Discworld. Um, so there's obviously the sort of magic, like wizards cast spells and throw fireballs at each other. Um, but there's a deeper sort of, like, it's described as like a basic force of the universe in Discworld is magic. So there's like gravity, electromagnetism and like magnetic, uh, sorry, and magic. And magic, So there's like a, so Discworld has like a magical field, uh, around it, which is kind of like the magnetic field, um, Mm. around earth. Um, and so some of the stuff about magic is just a, a really important part of it is the power of belief, um, is what sort of shapes reality. Um, yeah. so for instance, yeah. in Discworld, drop bears are real because everyone started believing in drop bears. Um, wait, where was Terry Pratchett from? Ah, uh, he's, he's British, but okay. I, I guess, I guess the whole Australian drop bears thing must've reached him. Must've tickled his fancy. And so, and so there's like, there's a similar thing. So for instance, if there's a witch and she's turned evil, chances are that witch will die in a house of gingerbread that she built because that's what evil witches do. They build gingerbread houses. (laughs) Right. And similarly, there's this construct that often heroes will win because that's what people expect is going to happen and that sort of thing. And I guess it's just like an excuse for him to create all these hilariously tropey situations and then Mm. twist them somehow yeah yeah but uh yeah that's it's and um similarly so for instance there's like a a whole pantheon of gods that rule Discworld, but the gods are actually powered by belief from belief yeah like it's an interesting thing so you know there's a god for anything like i think the example he uses in one of the books is if two snails cross over the same point there's a god for that (laughs) but that god has no power unless people choose to believe, to believe and worship yeah. the god of the snail crossing. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously it, it's it's this ironic thing where a lot of the most bloodthirsty and, and evil gods are the most powerful because people have like seen them be bloodthirsty them. And, and believe them believe in them and are terrified of them, but that's what gives them so, their power. So I, what I really want to see now, and I'm sure he sounds like he's a guy who's kind of with it enough to write this, is there like is there please tell me there is like campaigning gods do like campaigning <laughs> yeah well and so that's that's the plot of um of small gods is essentially one of the gods who at one point was the most powerful um materializes in the main part of Discworld to meet his eighth prophet and finds that all he has the power to do now is take the form of a turtle um <laughs> Because it turns out that even though there's this whole organized religion, nobody there actually believes in him anymore. It's just become an institution mm. uh, that isn't about him. And there's only oh, one wow. lowly, lowly monk who actually believes in him. So him and the monk sort of have to set off on this campaign to make people 
believe in him again so he can get powerful again. No, I want to read that one. I mean, so that that was that was the other one I I I sort of wanted to give you, but I settled on God's Guards because it's a bit more of a uh, like small gods deals a lot with organized religion and and the nature of belief and all that and that that can get a bit heavy. Guards guards is just more fun. Mm. It it's it's mostly a take on. I think it's meant to be a rip off in a lot of ways of The Hobbit, um, with the added you know sort of crime procedural cop sort of thing and integrated. Fans of the podcast will know that I love police procedurals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's set in the city of Ankh Morpork, which is the the biggest city. If we talk about this, I feel like we shouldn't talk about the plot at all because it's just all going to sound ridiculous and nonsensical. Um, The best way to experience is just by experiencing it. Yeah, um, I mean that's that's probably true. Um, Uh I'll just give you a super quick rundown of the characters. Just uh, I won't even go that much into them, but um, name as many ridiculous character and place names as you can, please. Oh, okay. Well, so, um, yeah, like I said, it's set in Ankh-Morpork, which is the biggest city in Discworld. And it's, when you picture, like, a big city that's just full of, like, corrupt people who get in bar fights and everything, that's essentially what it is. Like, mm-hmm. you know, everyone there is is just sort of corrupt and, and getting in bar fights. And it's just, like, sort of a miserable place that's sort of barely running. One of the first characters that's introduced is, uh, okay, now I wrote this down. The Supreme Grandmaster of the Unique and Supreme Lodge of the Elucidated Brethren of the Ebon Knight, mm-hmm. uh, who is sort of the bad guy um, for you know most of the story. Um, he's trying to summon a dragon um, to basically rule over Unk Morpork himself. Okay. Um, and I guess so. One of the things is dragons haven't really been in the Discworld series before this novel. Mm. Uh, and I remember reading somewhere that when Terry Pratchett set to wrote this one down, it was largely because he knew if he was going to keep writing a fantasy series, he'd have to address dragons, dragons yeah. at some point. So this book is largely just his take on how he can avoid having dragons in most of the Discworld books. Anyway, so then our main character, our main character, is a guy called Carrot. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ! All right, all right. No more names. I feel like you're gonna spoil okay. the names for me if you, sure. if you keep telling me them. The one, the one character I will mention then is uh, someone who was introduced in previous books. He's one of the few characters who probably don't need knowledge of him from the previous books, but he does mm-hmm. feature quite heavily in them. He's known as the Librarian, mm-hmm. uh, and he he works as the Librarian in the Wizards University that's in Ankh Morpork, mm-hmm. and he's an orangutan. Okay. Yep. Because there was an accident. So basically the the library of uh, Wizards University is obviously a very magical place mm-hmm. um, because of there's so much magic in the books. So there was an accident that sort of turned him from a wizard into an orangutan. But he ended up staying that way because he liked it because it made it easier to climb to climb and... the books back. <laughs> <laughs> and so he features fairly heavily for, for part of the book. So, oh, yeah. Um, yep. yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, just, uh, just sort of know that, he, you know, he... He was in the previous books, and if there's something unclear about his character or something, that's probably why. Okie dokie. Alright, I, I feel like the more you tell me about this, the more of the kind of ridiculousness <laughs> is going to get spoiled. So I feel like I should just like yeah, get true. into it and read it. I'm excited to read it. <laughs> I think it sounds right, like right up my alley. So, you know, we talked in a previous episode about the Adventure Zone, and mm. I think the world reminds me a little bit of that. Mm. In the sense that it, you know, it's, they're both sort of satirical fantasy worlds. So I think you'll ex- you can expect some similar jokes and everything. That's great. That works for me. <laughs> <laughs> Problem is, if I like this book, I'm gonna have to go out and read like forty other books. 
Yeah, so even even I like usually I think most of the things I've brought so far in this podcast are things that I've you know read or watched everything that's sort of come out mm. as part of it. Whereas I think I've only read ten of the forty Discworld books. You are such a casual and, scrub. And yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, and I, I mean, I want to read more. I, I honestly don't know why I haven't because they're they're really good. So that's not a testament to their quality, but more just I don't know my incompetence. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll check it out, and we can meet back in a fortnight and see whether it was good or trash. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass us off to future Elliot and Ruben right now. Thanks, past me. Yeah. So I'm here as usual to tell you that this next part of Media MD will contain spoilers for Guards, Guards, as well as two other Terry Pratchett books, Small Gods, and more. So if you want to go into those unspoiled, then you should pause your podcasting device now. Otherwise, on with the show. And we're back two weeks later. So, how do we start talking about Guards, Guards, Elliot? We'll get into a little plot summary, but... Uh, oh no, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I'm, it, I'm interested to see how you try and summarise the plot in a way that's short and makes sense. Yeah, um, but first I just want to say, the title of this episode is Guards, Guards, but I read Guards, Guards, and then I was like, that was pretty good, and that only took me like two or three days. So then I read Small Gods, which you also gave me, and then yep. I also read Mort, which you also gave me. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, because I remember um, I gave you, I just gave you a big pile, because I hadn't actually decided which one I was going to give you yet. Mm. Uh, I didn't mean to turn that into another... Uh, 100 eye zombie situation yeah um, um <laughs> but that's what it turned into that's a little peek <laughs> behind the uh behind the scrubs um so guards guards i'm gonna give you the plot summary so it starts off talking about this character called carrot mm-hmm. and he's a human raised by dwarfs and then he's he's kind of out, so out of place in his dwarf society that his family decides to send him to the city of and Kmorpork to become a member of the Night Watch, who are essentially the policemen, although they're so not required in society anymore that they are completely functionless. Well, yeah, so it used to be a respectable position, which I think, like, Carrot's family is working off old information, so they yeah, think... like, 100 years old information. <laughs> yeah. But now, um... Because uh, there, there is a great there is a great quote. The guy running Ank Morpork has basically made them useless because he legalised all of the crimes yeah but just made them managed because the idea is if you needed to drop like say the rate of theft rather than asking the police to do twice as much work he could just ask thieves to do less work yeah so there's like the thieves guild which is like the institutionalized thieves and the assassins guild and all that stuff and so the night watch is completely pointless and this leads to scenes where carrot is comes in with his like hundred year old book of laws and starts yeah. like arresting the head of like the assassins guild and stuff and and everyone's just like what is he doing <laughs> he's arresting the head assassin anyway um so the plot of the book kind of then becomes not really about carrot at all and kind of becomes about the the leader of the night watch whose name is what is it vimes vames vimes yeah a combination of ving and rames vimes um <laughs> And he is like this drunk who runs the most useless group in the city, the Night Watch. And then he kind of eventually has to deal with this situation that no one else is really able to deal with, which is the summoning of a dragon. So we kind of half mentioned it. 
And so that's like my very brief plot summary. This guy summons a dragon, it attacks the city, it then kind of becomes the de facto leader of the city, and everyone yeah. just kind of worships the dragon for a bit, and then Vimes steps in, and some stuff happens, and the dragon isn't really killed, but it kind of just goes away. <laughs> and that's the end of the book. Um, but it's not, like... If you go into this expecting, like... You said that you thought it was... Um, a play on the hobbit in the first part probably because there is like a dragon stuff right yeah um but it's not if you come into this expecting like an epic a fantasy epic you're obviously looking in the wrong place mm. even i i read the other two i read small gods next and then more and those were also quite kind of down to earth no uh, small gods the... probably the least so but yeah, I'd say that wait, there are other ones like uh the first two, The Color of Magic and and Light Fantastic. They're mm. they're much more it's about a wizard going on an adventure to save the planet type thing. Like that's uh that's a lot more that classic fantasy. And I mean, you know, those are the first two, so that's sort of I guess where it started. Yeah, fair enough. And and probably he kind of did that and then was like, Don't wanna do this anymore. Yeah, exactly. But the the real strength of God's Guards is in like the humor, right? So I'm gonna yeah. read you the de- I'm gonna read the dedication of God's Guards right here because this just sets the it sets the uh, the tone perfectly for the book. So this is like the dedication at the start of the at the start of the book, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> they may be called the Palace Guard, the City Guard, or the Patrol. Whatever the name, their purpose in any work of heroic fantasy is identical. It is round about chapter three or ten minutes into the film. To rush into the room, attack the hero one at a time, and be slaughtered. Nobody ever asked them if they wanted to. This book is dedicated to those fine men. And so it's like, it's it's obviously, yeah, I think we kind of touched on it in the first part. The strength of these books is that they just fully embrace these tropes and em- embrace them to their natural conclusions, which is like, go all the way down on them. Um, yeah. So one, one other good example which comes up in Guards Guards is everyone knows that if something has a million to one chance then it's gonna yeah. succeed right that was my that, that was my favorite part of the book is when is this the part where they're trying they want to shoot the dragon down with an arrow but they're worried that their marksman is too good so it's not a million to one chance so they start making him do stuff like stand on one leg and put a bucket on his head yeah so because there's <laughs> because when a million to one chance always succeeds everybody knows that um, they have to like nerf him by like making him shoot with one hand, like stand on his head and do all these crazy things to yeah. try and estimate what is exactly a million to one chance. <laughs> Cause if they overshoot it, like no one has ever heard, Oh, there's a million and a million to a million and 10 chance, but it just might work. Like that's yeah. not a thing. <laughs> so they have to try and nail the million to one chance. Exactly. I, like that was a great sequence. Just them trying to nerf their, their <laughs> archer. Um, yeah. And it's just this very like self-aware embracing of tropes. And I think that was its its strength, is the way it kind of did that. Yeah. I, I'll talk about what I didn't like about the books as much, which is that I think they were... I, I did quite like them, obviously, because I read three of them. Yeah, I was about I to say. I had to read one. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I got this sense that like they were the jokes were pretty good, and the plot was all right, and the characters were pretty good, but it just kind of was a bit middling with the whole kind of... It it didn't feel like the sum was as good as the parts to me. It felt like all the little individual bits were pretty good and there were funny scenes in isolation, but it didn't really flow together or feel like a cohesive kind of book as well as I would have liked it to. 
Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. The like we we talked a bit about how you know each book is just kind of whatever Terry probably felt like writing at that point, mm. and and it it even feels a bit like that within each of the books. He just sort of writes whatever he's sort of feeling at that time, and it can it can stop it from feeling like a less rounded single story. Yeah. So I I kind of mentioned this at the start with the plot summary, but the book kind of resolves with. This dragon is like in charge and he's like basically attacking the whole city and it ends with another dragon that has kind of been existing throughout the story. This kind of small male dragon comes up to him and they kind of fall in love and then fly away and that's like the resolution of the plot. Yeah. And it's like it's a good it's like a good resolution. It's like a good little joke resolution, right? Yeah. But it it kind of emphasizes to me how the stories never really feel like they make fun of the worst parts of these heroic fantasy stuff without taking on some of the good parts. Like doesn't have like this resolution that feels like, okay, that tied the story together well. And you know, even though, yeah. I don't know, it feels like a weird criticism because obviously it's not meant to do that, but it's, um, I mean, I don't know. I'd, I'd actually probably disagree with that. Like my memory of how it all ends is yeah, the dragons fly off and then the town, well, the city basically goes back to exactly the way it was, which was always sort of what was going to happen. And then the Night's Watch, you know, are rewarded with everything they could possibly desire, which turns out to be not very much. <laughs> it's like a 5% pay raise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I, yeah, I don't know. I actually felt like it sort of, you know, rounded out the story quite nicely. I think the story, yeah, like, you, like you said, meandered a bit. Like, you know, it's... It uh, starts off being about Carrot and then, yeah, pivots to, to being about Vimes. And you about can sort Vimes. Of, yeah. You can sort of see that Terry just decided that Vimes was more interesting and, and switched focus. Um, <laughs> Which but, is, I think is accurate, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think... Yeah, I think that was sort of... The, the, the whole story sort of came together and finished in a nice way. Mm. Yeah. That might not have been a good example. It just feels like it doesn't hit, like, the high... It it does good comedy, but it doesn't ever hit the high notes with the story, and so it's okay. just kind of like you're reading this book just to kind of see what jokes Terry is going to write next, and not to like enjoy the story of Carrot and Vimes or whatever. Because see, it so kind you... of gets really bogged down in that. Like that stuff doesn't pull through enough. You you sort of you're saying the weakness is the actual story, more or less. Yeah, where, yeah. Okay. Yeah, even though I did quite like the four main characters in the book who are like the night watch and i guess the librarian the orangutan that we mentioned in part one kind of comes in for a bit but it's never like i'm never reading this book to find out what's happening in the story or to get the resolution of the story i was reading the book to kind of just see what the next good jokes that he was writing were which i guess is okay but it, it kind of feels like it kind of feels like he's writing this book if this book was a person it's like intentionally crippling one of its limbs and it's like, yeah. okay, you can still be a really good person without one of your limbs. This analogy is getting out of hand, but <laughs> do you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I do. I mean, like, I would agree that, like, that often the, these sort of overall plots aren't the strength of these books. It's definitely mm. the, the, the individual, like, scenes and moments. But I I guess I didn't think they were weak enough to get in the to way. I see what you're down. saying. I, I, often, mm. I think you're right. I wasn't really moving forward to find out what was happening next in that big plot. I was just sort of taking things as they came. Mm. But, 
yeah, I mean, I, I guess I didn't consider that as much of a weakness. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. I think, and it wasn't like a huge weakness. I obviously still quite mm. enjoyed the books, but I think it stepped, it was too much of a weakness for me to not bring it up. It, was, it okay. was enough to impact my enjoyment of the books, not enough to make me not enjoy the book. Yeah, well, I guess, so one thing I wanted to bring up um, is like, so you may have noticed there aren't really chapters yeah yeah in, i noticed in, i was like in, in i'll just books. read a chapter before i go to bed and yeah i was just reading it for a while and i was like wait what's happening i guess i was just interested because like i know that some people actually sort of yeah find that annoying because they like to do yeah like you said read a chapter before bed mm. and, and all that but um terry pratchett was actually avidly against chapters so he never never included them in any of his books and i mm. think some people actually don't like it so i guess i was interested to see if that's something you have I mean, strong opinions on. I would rather there were chapters, but it's not really a big <laughs> Not really a big deal. It just means I have to say... It, it means I have to have self-control over when I stop, <laughs> rather than just relying on Terry saying, stop now. <laughs> stop now and go to sleep. But yeah, it was fine. I don't know. Um, so I guess we should touch on Small Gods and Mort as well, because those sure. I also read. Small so Gods... Has been, oh, sorry, so I should clarify. Those are two that I haven't read recently so you'll probably have to carry this more than usual those two also seem quite consistent with what i was thinking about guards guards i mean small gods and more are a bit more lofty i suppose in their kind of what they're trying to do but yeah they basically fall into the same they have the same successes and they fall into the same kind of traps uh okay where like mort for example has this kind of thing that he's trying to stop which is these this convergence of these two realities and they kind of resolve it and it or they kind of half resolve it and it kind of goes on in a similar way to guards guards and small gods actually has i feel like is a bit more of like an epic story um but also kind of feels like it falters in that story a bit but i would say from reading these three they were obviously quite enjoyable and i would want to read more but it's not like well, it's not. It's not. Say? It's not a series where after you've read one or two, you feel like you want to straight away go and read the rest of the well, series. Well, yeah, because it's not, they're not tied together, as far no. as I can tell, in many ways at all. Well, so the three the three you read weren't, but I, like I think I touched on it. Like Guards, Guards is the first in the Night Watch series, and so I think there's like five or six more. So like book thirteen, I think, goes back to the to the Night Watch oh, from Guards. Does Guards. it go back to like Vimes? Yeah. Like- um, oh, interesting. And so there's this great moment in one of the later ones where um so there's the character Death who shows up in a lot of the books. Mm-hmm. And and Vimes sort of has this he almost gets killed in one of the later books and Death shows up. And um Vimes is like, "Oh, am I having a near death experience?" And Death is just like really unimpressed and he's like, "Yeah, I'm sick of having all these near Vimes experiences as well." <laughs> um yeah, I think the character of Death is one that is quite interesting in these books because Mort the third book I read is a story about this guy Mort who becomes Death's apprentice yeah um and so Death features so I'll read you the blurb on the back Death comes to us all when he came to Mort he offered him a job (laughs) and and so Death is like this obviously heavily featured character who kind of throws around these like weird quips but they're not quips they're just like weird deathisms I wouldn't really know how to describe it there are a lot of characters in these books that are very interesting. He he does write very interesting characters. I just feel like the story and the characters are funny and they they're funny and they're unique and they kind of 
work well, not just on humorous levels, but as like fantasy or action heroes. But I just feel like his stories just kind of let them down, at least in the three books that I read. Yeah, okay. Uh, anyway, so let's talk about scores. Yep. I'm just going to give Guards Guards a score, because that's the only one I really thought about beforehand. I think I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. We're going to go back to that old chestnut. <laughs> I, I feel like they were very enjoyable, but I wouldn't ever want to read one just as the only thing that I'm reading, because I feel like it wouldn't sustain my, like, I don't know, something. This is very, I have a very, like, ennui kind of reaction to these books. I don't know. It's like, I liked them. I liked them, but I didn't like them enough. And I'm trying to figure out why. Okay. That's my reaction. So I, that that's summed up in a score to me. That would be a 7 out of 10. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I do think I'll read The Colour of Magic, which is the last one that you gave me that I haven't read yet. Okay. I guess this one will tackle a more... Yeah. Well, this was the first one, thing. so yeah. it's it's more of a straight up, yeah, fantasy. Yeah. Uh, so. Anyway, seven out of ten. That's my rating. Love it or hate it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So that wraps up another episode of Media MD. Next fortnight we'll be checking out a book called The Painted Man or The Watered Man if you're in the US. So be sure to buy that, pick that up, read it, and come back in two weeks to talk about it. If you want to talk about this episode or discuss The Watered Man while you're reading it with our community, you can go to our website. We have links to our Facebook, Twitter, and our subreddit where you can discuss stuff with us and people and stuff. Yeah, it's fun. Check it out. The website's at mediamdpodcast.com so check that out or we'll see you in two weeks bye